Welcome to the Tabletop Summary, where we dive a little bit deeper into why we love board games. Strap in and prepare for a deep sea adventure. Here are your hosts. Welcome listeners to the Tabletop Submarine podcast, where we tell stories about moments in board games and share them with you, and then we discuss them. Uh, today's guest, we have Patrick Hepner from the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Please say hello, Hello. Patrick. Then we've also got myself and Josh. Josh, go ahead and say hello. Hello. And uh, we're very pleased to have our guest today. Patrick, do you mind telling us about yourself besides what my yeah, absolutely. So my name is Patrick Hepner, and I co-host the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Uh, my co-host is Scott Walton. Uh, we're from the Pittsburgh area, and I've been doing this for going on two years now. We're about 60 episodes in. A little background on gaming. It's pr- primarily Magic the Gathering. I mean, for 25 years, it's been Magic at 24-7. Magic the Gathering, Moto, you name it. It's all Magic. And every now and then, while I'm at the shop, somebody would have Catan out or Carcassonne. It's like, well, okay, I'll play this. But, you know, I didn't want to play any of that when Magic was available. And then I had a daughter. <laughs> so, well, my my wife <laughs> had a daughter. And all that time for Magic, it, it's funny. If you want to be competitive in Magic the Gathering, it seems like you have to sink a lot of time into it. And I did, and I loved it. But that time wasn't available anymore. So what happened was board games took the place of magic because I could get that whole start to finish experience. You know, there's the beginning of the game, the setup, the figuring out what your strategy is going to be, how you're going to tactically maneuver through the game all the way to the the climax of the board game and and finishing and tallying up scores. It's kind of like to me that's replacing the Magic the Gathering tournament only in a much quicker time frame. So for Years now, it uh, it went from Magic the Gathering over to board games, and we had the opportunity to start up a podcast, share a little bit more about uh, about our love for the hobby, our love for games, and and quite frankly, it's it's really blossomed a bit. Like we're we're setting up meetups in the Pittsburgh area, we're getting to go to Origins and whatnot. So that's who I am. That was a that's that was wonderful. a really quick ending to to my uh, my my elevator pitch. No, that's very solid. So we had on the podcast last week, uh, Devin Metlin, who's a, a Magic the Gathering player. He's a blue-white control deck. Which uh, which deck do you Oh, play? combos. If I have an opportunity to play a combo deck that can win on turn two and I don't have to pay attention to what the other person's doing, that's fine by me. But most of my Magic the Gathering was limited format. So uh, booster draft, sealed, um, not so much the constructed. So uh, what what is your opinion on blue-white control decks then? Um, they're solid. I mean, anything blue, like if I'm, if I'm playing constructed, I want to play blue typically because I want to, want to have some control over the game. Blues, blue and magic is interesting because like, I think people hate it because like, oh, counter, 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 just counter everything. But blue rewards people that do their research and have a knowledge of what their opponent is playing. Uh, they have a knowledge of when to use counter spells, et cetera, uh, recognizing when they're being baited, that sort of thing. So blue, white control. Yeah, I could get on board with that. Cool, cool. Well, with that, let's head into our pre-launch segment. Let's do it. The pre-launch. Get to know us and our guests. Okay, well, here in the pre-launch, we talk about, uh, you know, each other for a little bit, banter around a little bit, and talk about games we played in the past week or so. This episode was recorded before Origins, so... Well, you'll really hear about all of our adventures afterwards. So we're going to talk about everything 
you know, this will be released after Origins. Eh, it's one of those time podcast paradox things. So <laughs> let's go ahead and talk about some of the games we played in, in the past week. Uh, Patrick, how about since you're the desk, let's start with you. What have you been playing? Okay, well, mostly it's Arc Nova solo. I've been doing a whole lot of soloing Arc Nova. But I was like, you know what? They, Ooh, I don't want to come uh, on and talk about Arc Nova. Everybody's talking about that. So let's talk about something different that coincidentally just surpassed Arc Nova in the hotness on BGG. And that's ARCs from Cole Worley and Leader Games. Josh, you and I had the chance to play this one together too. So I'll do my thing and then yes, we can we sort of did. banter a little bit about it. I think this is going to be live for like another day or two when this podcast airs. Let's start with from BGG and ARCs. Three to four players guide their factions through a fast playing space opera that unfolds over a trio of 60 to 90 minute sessions. Game opens in the final days of a decaying empire. Players take on the role of the last regents of a once proud state that stretched to the farthest worlds of the Reach. Faced with an encroaching blight that threatens outer planets, players must balance the integrity of their homelands with their own ambitions. Boy, that's a mouthful. <laughs> What's going on in this game? <laughs> Arcs is sort of a trick-taking kind of 4X game where three to four players start off with with roughly symmetric positions, but as play unfolds, they're going to differentiate from other, but as play unfolds, they're going to differentiate from one another based on the actions that they take. So I'll try and keep it short. So I just want to talk uh, for a moment about the primary mechanic and that's trick taking that we have going on in this game. Now, normal trick taking, you lead and everyone has to follow suit so long as they have a card of that suit. In arcs, you don't have to follow suit. You get to play whatever you want and you'll often have reason to want to. The suits include building, researching, battling. They'll have symbols on them and a value from zero to five. So for example, if somebody plays a card that allows choice of, say, movement or attack, the five card's going to allow you to do it once, but the three allows you to do it twice, all the way down to the one card, which will let you do it three times. The thing is, you're probably not going to win that trick. So I like the fact that the game gives you the opportunity to steal the initiative marker so that you can lead tricks because you get a lot of actions when you play those ones, those twos, those threes. There's a lot going on in this game beyond that. But I do want to say if you're not familiar with trick taking, it's not something that it's not something that you need to fully understand. You know, the trick taking tends to be one of those things that, that there are a group of gamers that just don't get it. This one, since you don't have to follow exactly it makes it really, really easy, sort of like an intro to, to trick-taking. Uh, but do, been doing a lot of arcs, and we, in fact, Josh, we had a chance to play this one ourselves. Yes, and I won. <laughs> just, that's besides the point. But You were the guest, so we I let would. you win. You know what people find out about yeah, uh, joining, joining the Level Up guys is they usually win because we're not very good. Let's go. Let's get away from my, my arrogance, and let's talk. Yeah, the arcs was super good. Uh, I, I think I, I enjoyed it the most, I think, out of the three of us. Um, I liked it. I, I liked it. I'm I'm not gonna I, I don't know because I, I have I don't have a, an appropriate barometer to determine how much you liked it, but I did enjoy this That's, one. You know what though? I there are games where by the end of it I'm like, what was the pivotal play? What was the thing that got them the win? A lot of it is tactical. You have those two scorecards off to the left of the board that are gonna score each round. Never mind your end game goal, but those scorecards, it really is a game of playing within the round. Yes, you need a grand strategy. You need to have something that's going to give you that end game goal because there's a lot of points on that. But if that scorecard mm -hmm. says you need a big chain of ships or you need to control X type of planet, you need to you need to get on that. Kind of like in Wingspan, how at the end of each of the uh, the set yep. rounds you have a eggs in the wetlands will score points. That's a similar scoring system here. 
but there are not ancillary points like you find in wingspan points on the bird cards and your eggs are worth points. No, this, whatever you scored at the end of those rounds, that's pretty much it. And I'm finding that it's hard. I'm having a hard time anyway, trying to hammer home scoring those points each round. I always want to like build up my engine and get those resources when in reality, it's like think long game. Yes, but you've got to get on this right now. Yeah, no, I really liked how each round felt different. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could because it kind of varied from a you know resource management to sometimes you wanted to be area control where your ships on the board really mattered and what kind of ships mattered sometimes a lot too. Mm-hmm. And I found myself, I tend to, I'm really enjoying this. I call it a trick taking renaissance that we're having. It mm-hmm. kind of started with like Fox in the Forest. People were like, oh, you can have a two player trick taking game. That's actually really good. And now yes. we are getting games like Arts, like Brian Boru, where they're taking the trick taking me- mechanism and they're really putting it to other types of games and making it shine. Um, I think I agree with a sentiment I think you share with me, Patrick, about Arcs. It's what Leader Games has this philosophy where he doesn't make everyone's he doesn't make games everyone's going to like, but he makes people's favorite game. And I think okay. this kind of falls into that category where not you know, it's, it's not going to be for everybody. I like it a lot. I, I really do like it a mm-hmm. lot. Um, but some people are going to really dive into this with the campaigns and the different ways you can play your hands out and the modular rounds that happened. So I, I, I enjoyed ARCs. I'm glad I had a chance to play it with you. Likewise. Awesome. I'm intrigued. I've not had a chance to check this one out, but uh, I know Josh's uh, first game into the foray of board games was Root. So I know that he uh, he's a big fan of uh, leader games as a whole. So if he's glowing about this one too, it must be good. Yeah, no. Leader games, they, they, I'm always, even if I don't like the game, they always have my thumbs up. They, I just appreciate what they do. Ah, well, Andrew, we're back to the fishes now with Sunny Days Sardines. I see that prehistories. Ah, I see that. You want, what, what, tell me about those games. So I got to finally play Sunny Day Sardines, which is having its national release day today, which is great. Um, essentially, what it boils down to is if you take the mechanism of um, Ticket to Ride, where you every turn you either draw or you play but then you play that into a very quick travel game and it's very smart and a little bit tactical. And at the same time, it's very cute and portable. I mean, you're basically just sardine workers trying to fill orders in a sardine factory, trying to be employee of the month. Um, but this game comes in a little tin that I can stick in my back pocket and you can go to any restaurant in the world. And while you're waiting for your drinks or your food, you can slap down a game in five to 10 minutes. So uh, that was a fun little game that I took with me this week. And then I also played, uh, Prehistories by 25th Century. Both those games are by 25th Century, actually. Uh, Prehistories is a little bit of a interesting take on the draw cards and then play cards in sets. And so what you're trying to do is you're sending out your hunting party. But what's really cool and interesting is that the larger your party, the slower you go. So you're tactically trying to decide how big you want to go for the prizes, but also how quick you want to move to try to outsmart or outtake other people's stuff that they want in front of them. And then there's a polyomino aspect where you're painting your walls and trying to get things to happen as far as that goes. So if that intrigues you, I think it's a great little gateway plus to slightly medium weight. Um, I think it's a family game, and I think it's got really beautiful artwork. So those are the two that I played this week. Cool beans. Well, what I got to the table, I got Sleeping Gods to the table finally. I want to hear all about it. Go ahead. Yeah, so this is a game by Red Raven Games, um, designed by Ryan Lockett. Uh, in Sleeping Gods, 
you are playing the crew of the Manticore, a ship, a 1929 steamship that has been transported to this magical world that, you know, is full of amazing creatures and, wouldn't you know it, sleeping gods who that prom- who promise you that if you collect all these different totems located around this world, they'll send you back to your own world. Um, this is a very big, grandiose campaign game where it takes place over a series of turns where players will choose ship actions and explore actions around this world in order to, you know, go through this adventure book that comes with the game and try to find these totems. Um, what That's a very base level what's going on. Um, I went through the introduction scenario, and it does a really good job explaining the rules of the game uh, and how the combat and action economy works during the, your... Basically how it's going to work the entire game. My first initial impression was that I'm really liking it especially the combat it's splash combat and so imagine if you will um two cards that have like grids on them and you combine them two when you're in combat and based on how you draw cards and what crewmers use to attack them you place these little red um drops of damage tokens on this grid what's really cool though is that you can take these damage tokens and place them in a straight line across these two cards so you can not only you can choose to target one opponent but your damage can splash over into another another opponent's um, health, and so it becomes a combat becomes sort of a puzzle. Like, okay, where do I place my row of damage tokens so that I can take them out as quickly as possible? Because right after you attack them, they'll counterattack, and counterattacks mm-hmm. are never fun. And you honestly don't have a lot of life in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the part that stood out to me the most. Uh, have you guys ever you know played Sleeping Gods or what your experience with this game? I want to know. I'm signed up for it at Origins. <laughs> Haven't played it yet, and I was I, I was like, well, it is winning all these awards, so I guess I gotta gotta get on this bandwagon. So I'm signed up. I got a playthrough scheduled, and uh, we'll, we'll be sharing some thoughts eventually. I'm also hoping to get that in at Origins as well. Maybe we signed up for the same playthrough, Andrew. Wouldn't that be some of it? If I came to my game and I was like, wait, I know this guy now. Yeah, no, I think you guys will really enjoy it. Um. There's there's enough going on to keep even the most hardcore gamer interesting, but not too much where I think it'll scare away you know, like the hobby, the, the the common gamer, as some people say. It's uh, it's just so good. I, I really like Ryan Lockett as a designer. I think he's I think he's got a he's already got a name around him, but I think his games are just gonna keep getting better and better. And we're gonna be seeing a lot of great evergreen type games, maybe even modern classics coming out from him. But that was sleeping gods uh well andrew i think we're we're switching it up a little bit we're going to do the on the radar segment at the end of the podcast because we want to get to the stories as quickly as possible so do you think we're ready to dive into this let's go All right, so we'd love to ask our guests what is the memorable board game moment they'd like to discuss with us this week. And so, Patrick, please tell me about your best story. Well, you know what? It's kind of funny. Whenever you guys uh, posed that thought to me, I was like, well, man, do I have one that super duper stands out? And I did, but you guys said no. (laughs) So what I am going to do, though, is talk about a culmination of experiences and go with one that I think really solidifies why I love board games in general. So the the culmination, I want to go back to 
we had this house with an apartment above the garage. And that very quickly became the bachelor pad. This is when I was a teenager. So I'd have my, my buddies over and we'd play up in this garage. And of course, you know, that we might be imbibing when we're not supposed to have been. But uh, man, it felt like every week we would have Catan out on the table or access analysis. Because while I played a whole bunch of magic, I have a couple friends that who were my closest and my brothers, they don't play magic. So it was like, all right, Catan it is, Carcassonne it is, and a lot of access and allies. We really, really cut our teeth on that game. Um, times in that apartment, just looking back, were some of my memorable teen years. You know, other kids would be going to the high school football game. I'd be like, no, guys, come on over. We're going we're gonna to play some board games. But when I say culmination <laughs> of things, a lot of it is centered around the podcast. I mean, creating level up and then some of the things that we've had, like the baby steps that I think you guys are going to gonna probably get to a lot quicker than we did. But for us, it meant things like we have local meetups in the Pittsburgh area, for example, and we'll look for businesses that are willing to host us. And like, for example, there's one place called uh, Black Lotus Pizza. It's just a little pizza shop. They've got a liquor license. Woo! <laughs> I messaged them. I was like, hey, guys, we're looking to have a meetup. I don't know if this is going to have eight people or 15 people or what the deal is, but can we do it there? And you know what? They gave us the green light. They said, we'll even make a couple pizzas on the house for you guys. We do little giveaways. And wouldn't you know, the first meetup we ever had, there were like 30 people. I walked into this place. I was like, oh, this, this looks kind of small if we have more than 15 we packed the joint. There were folks standing. We're doing giveaways for games. There isn't one specific moment about doing that. That's like, wow, this, I fell in love with this, but that, that step as a, as a content creator to have not a following, you know, I don't, I don't think any of these folks are following us. They're just out looking to have a good time, but being the catalyst for it, when Scott and I can put up a post, say, Hey, come bring your family, make it a date night. Let's have some fun. And people come it's like, oh, it's like the, oh, what, what was the movie? Castaway. When Tom Hanks finally makes the fire <laughs> and he goes, look what I've created. It kind of like a moment there. It was like, I'm going to step outside. My buddy Jason was having a smoke. So I'm going to step outside and just chat with Jason a little and look in through the glass windows. And there's all these people having fun. And I was like, hey, Scott and I made this happen. That Wow. But other little steps for the podcast. I mean, the very first game that we got in the mail was Doomlings. Uh, uh, that's Justice and, and Eric Meyer. They sent us a copy of Doomlings to play. It was uh, the, the first time that someone reached out to us. Actually, I don't even remember. We might have reached out to them. Maybe they had a post up on the Facebook media page saying, hey, who wants to review this? But that was the first time. Like, you know, I'm a podcast listener and I listen to these shows and they're like, oh yeah, no, this guy sent me this game and this company sent me this game. And, you know, we all get into podcasting because we want to get free board games for our time. <laughs> and this was the first <laughs> one that was like, wow, I've made it. You know, it's, it's this little box, you know, but, but it turns out it was a delightful game that a very successful Kickstarter. I don't know how much we influenced that, but for that one step, it felt like, wow, we we've become a thing. Enough about the podcast side of, you know, how, you know, my, my experiences give me that one thing that stood out. I want to actually get into a game. So I think what you guys are looking for more so than steps in the podcast is that one experience for me that sticks out is like, wow, I love board gaming. And this is why you're looking for some of the feelings, mm -hmm. some of the emotion that we get behind it. And before I tell that story, I, I, 
I'll relate it to something that your listeners may struggle with this as well. I know for a long time I did, and you see it all the time on the Facebook groups, uh, well, the board game centric Facebook groups. And that's about buying a lot of games and shelves of shame. And so many board gamers tend to have so many unplayed games and people will post like, well, Hey, I have this shelf and I really like these games. What should I buy next? And, you know, buy, buy, buy. There's always what is a secret cabal calls it the acquisition disorder, always wanting to get the next game. Right. And junkie talk. Well, yeah, kind of. It it is a junkie (laughs) talk. And, you know, anytime anybody's talking about Kickstarter, we're talking about FOMO. And what is it that gets us to, to open up our wallet for these games? Why are we always looking for the next game? Let me tell you something. I got 50 unplayed games on my shelf and every single day I'll see a board game and I'm like, should I buy that? Should I buy that? And I think that what's happening and, and I think I've started to curtail this and a lot of it comes back to when I see a game, uh, I'm in Barnes and Noble and there's a game on the shelf and, and I see that game and I start thinking, should I buy this? What happens to me and maybe you listener have this happen as well is I'm not thinking about what are the mechanisms in this game? What are the pieces like? How do the minis look? You know, can, can I hold them up next to each other and beep, beep, and make them fight each other? What I do is I start to envision my friends sitting around the table. I don't, I, I'll, I'll use Ark Nova as an example. I don't think of Ark Nova and think, wow, I want to build a zoo and I want to find a way to get these polyomino shapes, you know, for my enclosures. Oh, and I want to get the predator breeding program and start getting me some tigers. No, what I do is I start thinking, I want to have a crock pot full of meatballs and I want to have some beers (laughs) and I want the coffee maker on and I want Jeremy over. I want Ryan in my basement. I want to, I want to have this camaraderie going and we're all going to be able to, to chat now, depending on the game, obviously if we're playing the thing, yeah, there's going to be some talk and some threats and whatnot. But if we're playing an Arc Nova or an Orleone, it's going to be more of a, you know, we're going to be telekinetically communicating because they're going to be <laughs> heads down and in thought. But then once that game's over, everybody's going to stand up and grab a bite to eat. Oh man, when you did that, I can't, I think a lot of the acquisition disorder from gamers comes from looking at that board game box and envisioning the guys or the girls, you know, the, the groups sitting around the table and, and sharing these moments around that game. And you know, for me, a lot of games qualify for, could I see us doing this? Yes. Could I see us doing that one? Oh, yes. The answer though, it, what eventually happened to me was I, I had a whole lot more opportunity, like experiences waiting to be had than I was actually mm-hmm. having those experiences on the table. Most of the time when I'm playing a game, it's Scott and I. And sometimes my our buddy Tom, he'll come to the shop. We play every Thursday, and a lot of that's podcast-centric. Okay, we want to review this. we got to play it four times today, etc. To me, the best gaming has always been with my brothers or with my friends. And, and sometimes it's a big, long, epic game of Twilight Imperium. Sometimes it's a legacy campaign. The moment that I wanted to talk about actually is from Seafall, which is oh. yeah, notoriously not a great game. Seafall is a Rob Davio game from 2016. <laughs> it was put up by Plaid Hat Games. 
it's a legacy game, which, as most of your listeners, I'm sure, are aware, means things are going to happen in game one, and they will carry over to the next game. And you're supposed to play a set number of games until the campaign is finished. Starting with Risk Legacy, you played 15 times. Seafall, you play to till just the end of the campaign. Now, Seafall is riddled with problems. <laughs> can I, can mm-hmm. I start going? Andrew, you said you've played Seafall before. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Me and some friends got a five-player game going with my wife and I, and we had a really wonderful time. But yes, it was apparent, I think, by round two that there were some interesting loopholes that are in there that I don't think they play-tested fully mm-hmm. out of it. But I want to hear you. Okay, Go ahead. well, so maybe we'll get into some of the what's wrong with Seafall, but that's neither here nor there. This is not at all in any way, shape, or form a recommendation that you go out and purchase Seafall. In fact, I recommend that you don't unless you like to learn more about the mind behind the game or see what games are capable of because while it is full of some really neat stuff it's just not executed very well i bring up seafall because my little brother has a cabin all right pennsylvania pennsylvania is made up of pittsburgh on one side and pittsburgh is very small compared with (laughs) philadelphia on the other side pittsburgh has its suburbs and then after that it's like we we have uh we have amish like Lancaster all the way to mm-hmm. Somerset County. We have um so like you will see horse and carriage like the buggies going down the roads. Point is, we got some sticks here in Pennsylvania. My little brother lives in some of them sticks. Give you a little example. If you want to get to his house, you got to go over the train tracks and drive next to the train tracks. Literally on the gravel next to the train tracks for about a quarter mile and out of nowhere there's this like cabin from the 1800s sitting out there off to the side that's where he lives and that that's become sort of the gaming cabin once a month we'll get out there and we did see fall at his cabin now he lives alone um it's quiet it's serene aside from the occasional train passing by which eventually just blends into the background you don't even notice it going to that cabin to play a game became sort of an escape like going on vacation to a to a, a a big house on the beach for us it was this cabin in the woods not haunted in nowhere pennsylvania we get out there the cell phones don't even work you know the wife and kid are, are at home same with mike who's my best friend and my little brother who as i mentioned lives alone he and his cat are there and it's just us and it's some good food and it's some yeah. good drinks and we're going to play a game. And I said to them, Hey, let's do this Seafall campaign. I've heard it's not great, but you know what? I, I finished risk with the other guys. I'm still new to legacy campaigns. Let's do this. They all sign it. Yeah. Let's, let's get right into it. And we loved it in spite of its flaws. We loved it. Mm-hmm. The one experience that I wanted to bring up and, and <clears throat> And I think a lot of the reason that we loved it is because we don't mind, like the three of us, that group dynamic, we don't mind when a game has some flaws, when a game is broken, when a bad luck die roll happens. You know, a lot of reviewers, they'll look at a game and they'll go, well, it's awfully, awfully luck dependent. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot of really important die rolls where you only roll two dice and you need an extra high. We like that because we like to point at each other and laugh our asses off about how, how terrible they are at board games because they roll poorly. You know what I mean? Half the fun <laughs> is the camaraderie of poking fun at someone that you've known for forever. So this, the memorable moment with the Seafall campaign comes in. It, we had this 
amulet that my little brother found it. It was the, the sacred amulet. In the game, you have the option of becoming a pirate. I'm going to go attack everybody. Or you can be a merchant where you go buy stuff and sell it, buy more stuff and sell it. Or you can be an explorer where a lot of the game comes from this big campaign book. And hey, I'm going to go explore this cave. And it says, well, turn to entry number 452. So inevitably, you turn to 452 and you start talking like you're some kind of old pirate guide and you explain the story of what's going on and maybe it comes down to a die roll so they've got to roll these dice and they need successes they can't take too much damage oh they did it my little brother did that and he found the sacred amulet which basically means if you're going to explore you're going to succeed and you're not going to take damage our campaign now andrew i know we were talking ahead of time and i know that you said it didn't play out the same way for you but for us and and from a lot of other folks, at least, I, I think have shared uh, our experience was that exploring was entirely busted nuts bonkers. Like, like there's four different strategic paths. But in our experience, if you weren't exploring, you weren't winning to the tune of a game would end. And, and the person who could explore had 22 points. Second place had seven. Like it was absurd. So Brennan, suddenly my little brother becomes the explorer master with his sacred amulet. And he's going out and he's, he's exploring these caves, getting points after points after points. Before I get into the, the the big, oh my gosh, that happened. I will say the other broken part of it that was a lot of fun was that Brendan would go exploring and he'd get four points and 30 gold and a treasure. And then my buddy Mike would do the exact same thing. And he'd be like, here's 20 gold. <laughs> no po points are at a premium in this game. He wouldn't get points like yeah. Another flaw with Seafall, you can do the exact same thing as someone else. They got riches and rewards. You succeeded. You had just as much or more success in your exploration. And here's some gold. Here's a pittance for your troubles. Oh, my goodness. The la like Most board gamers would, would flip their lid. I'm not playing this anymore. That actually drew us back to it because we got to point the finger. We're like, oh, you suck. You're not a good explorer. Brennan goes to explore a cave and he's got his amulet and he's all proud of himself, right? He, he's not the best gamer in the world, but he's on cloud nine because as it stands, it's looking like he's going to win this Seafall campaign and have bragging rights. Oh my God. We text each other every day about who won the last time we played Shogun or who's leading at wingspan on, on, on the mobile app, right? He's got his chest all puffed out because he's got this amulet and he's going to win. And let me tell you, he was going to win this campaign. He goes to explore. And the dice have basically a blank, a hit, and a double hit, like a super hit. I, I don't recall. It was a few years ago now. But you didn't need mm -hmm. to get X number of hits. As long as you had one, you would succeed. It's just if you didn't meet a target number, well, the difference is how much damage you would take. So he's got like nine right. dice, the courtesy of this amulet. Odds would say he's going to get six or seven successes. He comes away with like one. Enough that his boat sinks, loses the amulet. Wow. And in this game, you, you actually take the card and you write on it, lost at sea. Takes it. Oh. Writes, so this card is now lost at sea. He gets up from the table. He doesn't say a word. He just doesn't say a word. He walks out the back door. And then we had a bonfire going because in the middle of nowhere, there's always a fire to be had. He goes out and sits down in front of the fire. I'm looking at Mike. I'm like, what did he do? <laughs> Wait, where's Brendan? What's going on? Here? So we got side. We're like, you, you okay there, bud? He's like, I don't think I'm going to play this game anymore. <laughs> the the expletives start going. He starts freaking out about it. This was five years ago. We still bring up like 
we tease each other constantly. And if you ever want to get the Trump on Brennan, you just say, yeah, well, you lost the amulet. You can't be trusted with painting that room or whatever task <laughs> oh. he needs to do because he lost the amulet. That campaign, that one instance sticks out to me as the the hallmark moment in that campaign. And I've actually since I've you can't see it. And obviously listeners can't, but I take my completed legacy games and I make a shadow box, this big shadow. I think they're supposed to hold like soccer jerseys, right? That you get signed by the athlete. I take those and I take all the cars that we, that we wrote. Oh my God. There's one of the campaign, some of the characters in that game. One of them looks exactly like Bill Belichick. So he's like a hooded character. So naturally he was Bill Belichick. So all the named characters, Uh Theon Greyjoy, one of them looks just like Theon from, they're all like I cut up the cards, right. the island names. They're all up there in that shadow box. And and whenever we game down here, it's funny. Every every few months, you know, someone will walk over there and be like, "What's going on with you guys? Actually, finished Seafall?" And I'm like, "Oh, let me tell you about the wondrous time that was Seafall, <laughs> right in the middle of that shadow box, right in the middle. What do you think I put? Lost at Lost sea. Lost at sea. The amulet's sitting there front and center. So every time Brennan might come over, we'll, we can reminisce about that day. So your friend has something in common with Titanic, right? I mean, like he just lost the amulet in the, in the water. It just he just the let bottom, it go. Huh? Uh, well, no, you know, he, he didn't want to let it go. It was forcefully taken from him from his terrible, terrible skills. Yes, at rolling dice. <laughs> Well, that's the thing about the dice is that it creates these memorable moments like this. And I also am notorious for poor rolling of dice. So, yes, dice and I have an acrimonious relationship as well. But, but that does create amazing moments. And what we as game designers want to do sometimes is also have that stand up final roll the dice, final moment where something flips a card or something. Everything turns on a dime because those moments are exciting and create great stories. So I totally agree with you and with you with legacy seafall i think that game is worth playing i don't think you should have too high an expectation but it also does a masterful job of forcing players to do the thing that's interesting right absolutely absolutely to do exploring you're absolutely supposed to read these passages and and make these decisions and it rewards players for doing that i think the broken part for me was that my wife decided not to, and she kicked all of our butts. So she decided to do the merchant path, and she had an efficiency engine that was unbeatable, and she tore us all a new one. But that said, it would have been fine. We would have all been okay with it, except that she was angry that she was bored. Like, (laughs) she wasn't doing the cool stuff. But she saw the way to win and did it, and then she was kind of like, eh, the whole time. She was just kind of, okay, here, I'll take my turn. What are you guys going to do? You guys have the stories. You guys have the the readings of the passages. You guys have the decisions to make. Um, and so that is the only thing I fault that game for. But if you go in and everybody does the exploration track or everybody does that thing and it's competitive that way, that game is not broken. That game is doing exactly what it should be doing, and it creates those moments like you talked about. So I actually endorse Seafall. Just don't be a merchant. I... <clears throat> I think Seafold did a fantastic job of giving you some real neat components, really neat unlocks. A lot of games mm-hmm. are like, uh, you'll, you'll finish a legacy campaign game and you'll go into the next one and it's, oh, here's some stuff. 
or here's a sticker or two. Uh, some of the big changes in, in Risk Legacy, for example, aside from two of them, which will remain unnamed. Other than that, most of the things that you would unlock or discover were like, oh, okay, so that changes it a little bit. And a lot of legacy games do that. Seafall, and I think maybe this was to its detriment in hindsight, Seafall legitimately altered the game. Every time you had oh, an unlock, there were, it wasn't like just put this little sticker on to do a minor change to the rules. The introduction of colonies. Oh my goodness. This is going to add to, I think they were called colonies. So you get two new pages worth of rules. How do these work? What's going to happen? They would, they would give you the things that you would expect. Oh, now we have some higher value artifacts, but then you open up one box and there's a black light in it. Yeah. And you and your friends sit around the table going, what just happened? You can't recreate. Most so, yeah. board games don't recreate that moment. There's, this is not the, the greatest board game ever. You know, I, I don't endorse it, but no board game has re-implemented that moment for us. You know, like that, that wow factor, that eyes wide. Oh my gosh, guys. Okay. Everybody lean in. We got to see what's going on here. No one else has done that. That's amazing. And you have to relook at the board in a new way. You have to look at it and be like, oh, wait, now, now, wait, wait, I'm looking at what? And it changes like how you play, so doesn't it? Do you guys, I can imagine you started yeah. scanning every damn thing you could find, huh? <laughs> of course. <laughs> that wasn't happening in games one through five. That's also what makes board game moments more memorable is those times when things change, whether it be you being betrayed by your best friend or your girlfriend makes you want to sleep on the couch that night or whatever because you've done <laughs> some sort of interesting betrayal or you've you've made a move that's no good or or made a move that is really good and therefore you uh, you take the game. Those those are the moments that we look forward to and we love to share with people and and I think Seafall Legacy has a number of those in yes, it. Yes, yes. Agreed. Agreed. But for me, bringing everything full circle, I think that one of the reasons why I brought up this Seafall moment is because my love of that game doesn't come from the mechanisms within. It didn't come from the story within. None of the cards, like I only remember the amulet because it was the one lost at sea, but I don't remember what furniture I bought for extra points at the at the port. I, I right. don't remember what I named my boats. What I do remember is being in that cabin, eating pizza, having a beer or a coffee, fire going outside. It's my brother, my buddy. And just, you know, that that companionship, that that enjoyment that you get out of sharing that time with other people. And the board game is kind of just the catalyst that 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 allows for that time. It's the centerpiece, but it's not the reason why. I was going to say it's not the reason why we're together. Yeah, it's the reason that we're there. But if it wasn't a board game, it'd be a video game or it would be a, a, I don't know, something, something else. I mentioned at the beginning of rambling here about like, oh, the whole purchasing games and we all have this massive shelf of shame and why are we constantly buying? I think maybe for listeners, if that might be, you think about that next time you're looking to buy the next game and you go, oh, do I love this game or do I love the idea of having friends around building an underwater city or terraforming Mars? Look at the games you have on the shelf. I bet you 
you could get a similar experience, that same comedy. You have a cabin somewhere. We all have that cabin in the middle of nowhere, whether it's your basement or your buddy's apartment where you're envisioning people playing this game. Just try and remember that you're trying to make the moments, not the mechanisms of a game feel right. I'll get off my soapbox now. I absolutely agree with you, but I also think that part of what the acquisition is about is looking forward to different moments. I equate it to being a a bibliophile, right? Where like you have a huge amount of different experiences you've yet to have. Mm. You've different worlds you've yet to explore different um, moments that you can then look forward to. So even if I look at my shelf of shame, I see these games that I cannot wait to open and try out. And for me, and I imagine it's like most people, it's a lack of time. Mm-hmm. If I could buy the game and the time that came with it, that would be an automatic purchase every single time. So it's only a matter of time until those games get played, in my opinion, or until I give up because I found other things I like better. But I think part of that is the stories that I'm looking forward to being able to tell and experience yes. in a new world, a new place with, with, with people. This gives me an idea. I see Josh is awfully quiet over there. I'm going to, I have a sealed copy of Seafall. <laughs> Josh, we're going to spend the entire Origins, you, me, and Andrew, doing a Seafall campaign. <laughs> oh, man. I'd be down on a Wednesday morning. If you're there Wednesday morning, I'd be down just to sit down and play some Seafall. <laughs> like, I, I'm going to get there probably Tuesday. So if that's something you guys want to do, no, like, I'm only it is not. working in the evenings. <laughs> I was like, you know, I do want to play this game now, but I also know I don't want to play this game. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it sounds like I don't, I, I agree with lots of things to say, you know, it's not necessarily about the game. The game brings people together, but what makes them memorable is the people. Yes. So, yeah. Patrick, that was an awesome story. Thank you so much. We're, we're pretty deep down in the trenches now. We've dived very deep into this story. So, let's do a little bit more exploring and see what's on our radar. Okay, in this segment, we talk about games we're looking forward to playing within the next coming weeks. So I'm going to go ahead and start off because I was pretty I was pretty quiet because I was just enjoying listening to you guys talk about this game. Uh, what's on my radar is a game called Cthulhu Wars Duel. Are you guys mm-hmm. f- familiar with Cthulhu mm-hmm. Wars? I don't know it. Okay, so this is a Sandy Peterson game. Like You will definitely know that by looking at the box. <laughs> so, but... uh. Um, it's from Sandy Peterson Games. Um, Cthulhu Wars is this giant, grandiose miniatures game where you're are different elder gods battling for control of the world. One thing I could talk about Lovecraft for hours. I love H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, there's this whole thing when people are like he wasn't that great of a writer, but okay, he wasn't. <laughs> like if you're looking at like me- me- like look at the mechanisms of English, what I call it. Yeah, sure, he wasn't. But what he was able to create with existential horror. I find absolutely fascinating. And the person himself, I actually find him very fascinating. You know, he was this, you know, extremely prejudiced person. Like the, the, I think of someone call it properly prejudiced. But what I find so fascinating is that he was a shut in too. And I think what he really feared was the unknown and all these cultures that were so different to him, you know, the African cultures and Native American cultures, things like that. It wasn't that he hated them. He was, I think, I believe personally, he was afraid of them. He was afraid of afraid of them that turned into a hate. And so that fed into his writing about, you know, that's why lots of, you know, underrepresented cultures aren't represented the greatest in those books. And he thinks the proper New England man is the ultimate person. 
And, you know, mm-hmm. you can talk about the problematics with that, but I think that really dives into the mind of a person who was just extremely afraid of everything. And okay. that goes into Cthulhu, like the whole Cthulhu mythos. And this game has nothing to do with that. <laughs> but, like, it, it's really just, you know, your elder gods battling each other. And it's a smaller version of this game. Um, which is usually better at four or five players. And so I got it on a whim during Black Friday because I've been, I like I, said, I enjoy Cthulhu and I like two-player games. Uh, I'm excited to get into it. It's going to be a little bit of a crunch, but I want to get it on my radar because it's been sitting on my shelf since Black Friday of last year, and I'm ready to give it a try. But that's what's on my radar. Uh, Andrew, how about you tell us what are you looking forward to? I know we talked about this last episode, but Foundations of Rome is on my desk right now. I finally opened it up. I have not got it played. Hopefully, I get it played this week. Um, But I'm super excited for this Everson Matsuchi game. Um, I already like the way it sounds and the way it feels. And obviously, I just need to play it. But that's, that's my number one radar. I'm also looking forward to... All sorts of things I have no idea what I'm going to play next week. So Origins is is big on my radar um, for obvious reasons. Cool, cool beans. Patrick. Well, definitely a whole bunch of things from Origins that you and I spoke about on Level Up whenever you joined us for our episode 58. We went over a whole bunch of stuff that I can't wait to play, including Blood on the Clock Tower that you said you signed up for. King Scott and I are going to get in on that, so we're signed up, and I can't wait to see what goes on there. However, for today's sake, I put in a game called Veiled Fate from IV Studios. Uh, These are the guys that did Mm. Moonrakers. Why I'm looking forward to this, uh, well, first off, I just said it. They did Moonrakers, which uh, Level Up reviewed in episode 45 and we really liked that one so i'm really excited to see what they have for a follow-up now i don't typically love social deduction but this pitches itself as a social deduction strategy game it feels like a game where figuring someone out is not where the game ends you still have to take actions that negatively impact their score i think that's going to open up some room for second guessing yourself or even bluffing to the table like what god you have you you control demigods in the game. I might be doing all sorts of great things for the green god because I want someone else to waste cards smiting old greeny to the abyss and leave my god alone. Feels like it's going to open up the table and encourage some banter while we play. And while I do enjoy a nice heads down thinker, I like a good laugh out loud game, but those tend to be on two very different ends of the spectrum. And I think Veiled Fate is going to try and meet somewhere in the middle. So I'm excited to see if that is in fact what happens. Veiled Fate from Ivy Studios. Sounds amazing. We'll see. Well, cool. I hope it is amazing. I don't know about you guys, but the air is getting kind of stale up, up down here. Up. Where are we at? Boo! Boo. <laughs> <laughs> the, the air is getting kind of stale down here, so let's go ahead and resurface. Anyways, so... That was a wonderful little adventure we went on with Patrick. Thank you so much for coming on and giving us some of your time. Tell us, Patrick, how can people connect to you? Where can they find you? Just let the listeners know what, what, if they want more Patrick. Oh, God, where can they God find help them? them. Uh, first of all, before I get into that, <laughs> thank you guys, Andrew and Josh, for having me today. It's a pleasure. I, I, I hope that this takes off. I hope you guys uh, get what you're looking to get out of it. And I hope that you're not looking to get money out of it because two years in, I can say that it is not a profitable endeavor. Now, seriously, though, thank you so much for having me. Uh, again, my name is Patrick. I co-host the Level Up Board Game Podcast with Scott Walton. We, we call him King Scott. We have a bit of a RP 
RPG theme. Your, your Explorer Josh, for example, for your segment, uh, you can find us at yes. www.levelupgamepodcast.com. I think by now we're on literally every single thing that you can download a podcast. If you can find a podcast app that doesn't have us on it, let me know because I think we're on all of them. We're on Facebook. We have the, you know, if you go to our website, you can click the little Facebook emblem, the Instagram, the Twitter. We're all over there. We'll be at Origins. Uh, we don't really have much of a, a presence or anything planned. But if you see a, a middle-aged guy and an old guy in a level-up hat, that's us. Uh, we're, we're cordial. Come say hi and <laughs> shake a hand. We, we want to hear what you've been playing. Well, fantastic. I'm hoping to get Scott on here here soon. Uh, I know he has some. He lives even more in the boonies than you yep. do. I, I think. Oh yeah. So so trying to trying to set that up. Well, I'm hoping to because Scott is great and he has lots of game knowledge, just like you. I do. was going to say th- so, thanks for buttering up Scott. I'm the one sitting in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> See, you know, Patrick, you always make me feel bad. <laughs> I don't know what to do anymore. Do this to yourself, Josh. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, Andrew, anything to say before we we resurface and let Patrick out of the submarine? No, I think we've uh, made him talk too much. That, okay. Open up the hatches. Fair Get me en- out of here. Fair enough. Get some fresh air. Thank you all so much for tuning into the Tabletop Submarine. Please check out more of our episodes and feel free to listen because all these all these different episodes have different stories you can listen to and that will stand the test of time. Share with your friends. Like us on Facebook. Let everyone know about the different stories you hear on here. We want to get as many people as we can hearing these stories and get as many people to the hobby as possible. Thank you all so much and have a great week. Thank you.